This is the first Tuesday of April, so that means we are here for the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Hey, Drew. Good morning, Alicia. You're looking strangely well-rested. I did not work last night. Congratulations. Yes. So you don't have the latest absolute up-to-the-minute numbers for us about how many COVID patients are in the ER. I do not. Um, What a shame. And... Lo and behold, you really can't get it from the county anymore either, as they have walked away from their dashboard. I will miss it. I have enjoyed watching our county vaccine effectiveness rate be the best in the world. In the world. Inexplicably, 99% (laughs) effective against COVID. Sometimes it dropped to 97%. I don't know where that number came from, but that little dashboard is gone, or at least is not there. You mean the rainbow dashboard? Yeah, little little circles on it. little people. little numbers. Why is it gone? Where did it go? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's hanging out with Bill Gates and George Soros. I don't know. Hmm. Sounds like a great party. <laughs> well, okay. So how do we know? How are we supposed to So track? they're importing data off the county okay. from the state uh, dashboard. And that's what you've been doing this whole time, right? I've been sort of assimilating data um, from multiple sources as well, sort of firsthand um, knowledge of what's going on, particularly in Ukiah. Um, but the actual right. reportage of things like deaths um, was coming from the county dash- dashboard. But um, I'm not sure if it really matters. I'm not going to berate the county too much for taking this down. It was, you know, I'm sure quite time consuming. Not sure who was maintaining it. I doubt it was Andy himself. Um, And our numbers are quite low. Um, They remain quite low, both locally, um, statewide, and coming down nationally still. I think, you know, between now and our next show, um, two weeks from now, the numbers nationally will no longer be in negative territory. I think we're going to start to see a slight uptick, but I don't really think we're going to see a big BA2 surge. Mm -hmm. Probably because it doesn't have a, a, a Greek alphabet letter name. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, you it's know, just, it's, it's just unwieldy. hindered from yeah. the start. But before we get into the numbers or too far into our show, I think there's a quiet drive. We have a little quiet business to do. Yes. This is, um, I think it's the fourth day, fifth day of our quiet drive mm-hmm. here at KZYX. It's a very exciting, quiet fundraising drive for us. Um, we have bought a building for our new studio We're moving to Ukiah from Philo after 32 years. I'm not even sure what to think about at all. I mean, we so much of our identity is KZYX Philo, and everyone says, "Where in the world is that?" You know, we're out in the middle of nowhere, but we have we are sort of growing up and buying our own home and moving over to Ukiah, where we'll be accessible to exponentially more community members to participate in the station. And we're going to keep a studio here in the Anderson Valley um, for all of the folks who do programming from here who've been the lifeblood of the station since the first days. But we are undertaking this huge effort to raise money to turn this this building that we bought in downtown Ukiah into a radio station. 
So that's why we are coming here to ask for your support. And it is uh, more than just a fundraising drive this time. This is a huge community effort to ensure the, the station's future. Um, and also, we've had this signal problem here in, the, in Anderson Valley for a few years now. The, the trees have grown up and are occluding. They're in the way of our transmission from here up to, uh, to our tower on Signal Ridge. So, um, and PG&E hasn't cut those yet? No, PG&E likes to cut our power ever occasionally. Yeah. Um, they haven't cut the trees yet. Yeah. It would be several thousand acres of trees. We like trees, so we are going to move to a place where our um, our signal can be much stronger. Um, so it's all you know a whole a whole lot of reasons. But here we are in this effort to raise raise money to pay for this enormous transition that the station is going through. It's so exciting, but right now we're in the quiet drive, so we're not actually. In a pledge drive. That starts in a couple of weeks. Stay tuned for that. It'll be fun. It will become more loud at that point. Yes, yes. much more, right. much more. So um, so we, we're asking people to uh, donate to that effort to um, make the fundraising on the on-air pledge drive uh, go much more easily. Uh, and you can donate by going to kzyx.org. And, of course, uh, you can also um, send a check to P.O. Box 1, Philo, California, 955 Oh. Philo, I will get this zip code. I know this. Anyway, Philo, California, they'll find it. <laughs> 954. 95 something. Um, so that's what's going on with the Quiet Drive. You're going to be hearing uh, on air sort of asks throughout the next four weeks. And then we'll do our pledge drive starting April 29th. So retrofitting a building to be a radio station, that must be a costly endeavor. Definitely. If you want to do it right. Yeah. If you want to make it so that we have equipment that uh, really supports the programming that we want to do here, um, soundproofing, uh, we are, um, I'm thrilled that we are including a news department in our new site and uh, getting ready in the process of hiring a news director to really bulk up the, the news here, the local news at KZYX. So um, it'll all be part of the, of the project. And uh, yeah. So we're, we're excited about it. So that's what's happening here. Just got to tell you about the quiet drive in the new building. But let's, let's run the numbers. Want to? Sure. Okay. There aren't, there aren't big changes. Uh, we are, are well under um, 10 cases per 100,000. We're sitting right around four. That's awesome. No yes. wonder everybody's ripped their masks yeah, off and they're like nice. frolicking yeah. and yeah. partying. And, yeah. Okay. So we've added 33 cases in a week, um, bringing our total up to 13,058 COVID-confirmed cases in the county of Mendocino over the entire course of this pandemic. Wow, that's a lot. It is. It is a lot. And I think we could safely double that number, frankly. That's what um, I was at thinking. Least. Um, hospitalization remains quite low indeed. Um, the latest published data is two people hospitalized, and that resonates with my experience in the ER. Uh, no new deaths to my knowledge, though now that we are um, importing data from the state, um, the total death count has, in a sort of matrix moment, dropped by six because <laughs> the county's data had been sort of more <laughs> fresh. So good good fuel for conspiracy theories there. Um, so take that and run with it, all of you conspiracists. You can combine that with the VAERS data bank and, uh, and you have one million and six data points that you can analyze. 
California um, continues to drop significantly, uh, 40, down 44%, a rolling two-week average, hospitalization down about a third over the two weeks. So COVID has become a quite manageable, not infrequently seen disease um, in the ER um, or in the hospital services compared to you know January when people were coming in for non-COVID-related conditions um, and incidentally being found to have COVID, uh, we're really not seeing that much now. The numbers, the test positivity is so low that uh, the people who are getting tested um, generally don't have COVID um, and the few who do are not getting sick enough to present to medical attention. So, so all of our ways of figuring out how COVID, how who it's infecting and how much and all that, it's working to show us that it's it's gone. It's not just a fluke that people aren't getting tested anymore or anything. It's no. I mean, we there's. Can trust there, I think yes. Right now, I mean, if it, you know, COVID, as we've learned the hard way, um, tends to be very much a lagging um, disease presentation, right? So, a surge can start to build, and we don't really know it until it's upon us. Think of it as a sleeper wave, if you will, when you're out on the coast, um, and you know, we've seen that over and over again. Numbers, you know, in uh, in uh, states on the East Coast are up, um, to be sure. You know, New York, I think, is up about 50% over two weeks. But that's still an absolute fairly low number. Um, and so we're not seeing a, a sharp climb, sharp rate of climb mm -hmm. um, in confirmed cases or even in hospitalizations. All that tends to be even further lagging. So I don't, you know, we're not seeing a peak or a surge or any indication that this BA2 variant is going to drive a significant uh, crunch of patients um, presenting for medical attention. It's still, you know, not a trivial disease. It's it's one of the top 10 killers, you know, in the past week in the United States easily. Um, so, you know, to, to that end, the U.S. numbers are still seeing around 27,000 cases a day. Um, new cases, confirmed cases a day, uh, with over 600 daily deaths from COVID. Um, so that's that's still a lot. Uh, but to put that 6, 600 um, daily death number in perspective, uh, we see around 2,500 daily U.S. deaths from heart disease. We see you know, around 2,000 daily deaths um from the second leading um cause of death and so you know which is cancer so you know this is still top 10 it's not a trivial number it's about three times the number of um opiate overdose deaths um that we see in this country which i think we can all agree is a significant and serious preventable problem um but it's not sort of the crush that we were seeing a couple months ago mm-hmm Three times the number of opioid deaths? COVID deaths are still outnumbering opiate overdose deaths by about a three-to-one ratio, even now. So we see about 200 of those a day? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's good news, though. There's a lot of bad news. It's overwhelming. So this little bit of respite that we're getting from COVID, although I, it's not lost on me that if we had heard these numbers at the beginning of the pandemic, we would be losing it because oh, yeah. it, it's uh, it's all relative to what we've experienced with these. Well, with these it's waves. relative. It's also a question of normalization, right? Yes. We're, we're used to COVID now, much like we're used to cancer, unfortunately, or the annual flu season um, or any of these other conditions that results in high mortality. Um, and so this is no longer novel, right? The, the novel 
um, COVID coronavirus 19 um, is rather stale at this point from our collective um, attention. Um, and so, you know, it's it's something that we're just kind of used to. Um, and it's also something that's going to remain with us mm-hmm. in varying levels of intensity you know, for the foreseeable future. You know, five years from now, are we going to still have COVID amongst us? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is it going to um, garner too much of our attention? Probably not, unless there's some bad COVID season, which could come down the pike. But again, we've learned a heck of a lot in the last two years in a rather tumultuous and sometimes confounding and confusing um, manner. And so, you know, I think we'll be better positioned to deal with those strains um, over the months to years going forward mm-hmm. that are going are gonna to come up. Well, people are still getting it. Oh, yes. I mean... So for folks who are getting it and who are sick with it or, or who are in isolation at home, I mean, during the the height of the pandemic, there was a lot of sort of support for that. You know, socially, we were kind of set up for that. But now as things are sort of receding and life is going back to whatever pre-pandemic normal is, I don't even know what normal is anymore, but uh, there prob- is there... Like if you get it and you have to stay isolated for however many days, it's not quite as normal. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's not as common. There's there's certainly probably there's certainly not as much camaraderie amongst um, the community supporting the people with with COVID right now. The numbers are, to be sure, though, quite low, um, and the disease burden is lower yet because the vast majority of us have either. Um, vaccine-induced immunity, natural immunity, or hybrid immunity. Um, and so, you know, the, the likelihood that anybody um, with any form of that immunity is going to get extremely sick or come to the hospital is low or lower, certainly, than it was a year ago. We just probably have to keep in mind if we have friends um, who do test positive to just step up. Yes. That we still have to step up and yes. bring ice cream. and. But I think we have collectively many fewer friends testing positive yeah. right now. So, right. So we can shower our attention on the yes. few of us. Who have been unlucky enough to catch the virus yeah, somewhere. Yeah, we don't need to have like NCO doing Meals on Wheels for folks, but we can bring lunch. Yes. <laughs> Check exactly. it. Exactly. All right. What do you think uh, as we are kind of looking back now? Um, and feeling sort of comfortable in, in doing that as if we're sort of through the worst of it. Um, what are uh, what is normal? What are permanent changes that we're going to keep living with? And what things are uh, that can we go back to doing that we haven't been able to do? I, you know, at this point, um, and I've been arguing for a little while now that it's, I think, okay to do just about anything. Um, really? Yeah. So, I mean, with, with caveats, to be sure, you know, if you're one of these individuals um, who um, wants to protect against the decreased likelihood of catching COVID, which I include myself, then I'm going to continue to wear a mask um, indoors um, in general, certainly in venues where there are you know, a lot of people. Um, if I were an employer, um, I would have a discussion with my employees as to whether you want to have a masking requirement in your place of business. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, if you have to work at a checkout line, you're exposed to a lot of unmasked people right now, um, unless you're requiring a mask. Masks have fallen uh, fallen away. I mean, I think they're going to no longer be required on airplanes before we know it. Um, 
but boy, I'm not going to take mine off um, in that sort of setting for quite some time. But the numbers, you know, when we're down around four per hundred thousand, the likelihood of your being um, exposed to somebody in a gathering of 15 or 20 people at a dinner gathering, at a family get together, even indoors around a table unmasked, that's fine now. Um, it really is. And I would, I would suggest, you know, heightened vigilance after a potential exposure, a low threshold to get tested, and a willingness to embrace some of these therapeutics that are available. Um, if, if you do have the bad luck of contracting COVID, vaccinated or not, if you have a high risk of doing poorly from COVID, um, you know, it's, it's important still to be vigilant about the possibility that you may have COVID because you want to start these medicines and these treatments as soon as possible. How do you um, incorporate that kind of vigilance into your everyday life? So say you go, uh, you need to get these therapeutics quickly, right? If you uh, contract COVID. So how do you create a lifestyle that you can know? Yeah. So I, I, I think, if, you know, for by way of an example, um, if you're 75, let's say, and you have one or two risk factors for COVID, and I'm not going to go into those because I think we've all internalized those, particularly if we have some of those risk factors, Um but if you're 75 and you have a dinner party and two days later you have a sniffle, for example, then I would get tested and I would get tested that day. Um, you know, whether it's a home kit initially, um, if that's positive, then you need to get a confirmatory PCR test um, quickly, you know, that day preferably or the next. Um, and if that's positive, then... You know, my first recommendation would be something called Paxlovid, uh, which is a pill that you take for X number of days. Um, and, and you can get it from your doctor or from the ER? It, you can't get it from um, your doctor. It needs to be prescribed um, to a pharmacy. Um, but it is available. Um, and it's, you know, it's widely available um, in this county. It's not widely distributed to pharmacies, but those pharmacies which do stock it have an adequate supply, um, you know, at least until we see some new variants surging and creating higher numbers. Um, so that's, that's one. Um, the second um, thing to internalize if you're a listener with um, immune suppression, so if you are an organ transplant patient or you're a dialysis patient um, or if you're on some of these very potent biologic immune modulating medications um, to create to treat chronic medical conditions, then there is a prophylactic uh, antibody treatment that is available in this county that can be administered that would offer you about six months of pretty high immune protection um, against contracting symptomatic COVID. Um, and that's something certainly to entertain. Um, I know our oncologist here in the county has been administering it fairly regularly but a lot of providers and I suspect a lot of patients don't know that that's a treatment option huh. and it's not new I mean it's new for COVID but it's it's been available um since December I've talked about it you know several times but but this is for people who don't have it who may be at increased risk for contracting it yes yes and exactly. they can take this medicine that will stop them from gives them being a, a basic as susceptible correct susceptible yes Interesting. Yes. And you can find out more about the specific uh, treatments for yourself by talking with your doctor. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, to be sure, some of these treatments, like the, the pill form of the antiviral medication, is not available for anybody. Um, it needs to be, you need to have some 
you know, risk stratification qualifications, mm-hmm. but it, you know, it's available for a lot, frankly. Interesting. Yeah. Well, good. So there's, as, as to be expected at the beginning, we didn't know anything. So we were washing our groceries. Yes. Um, and <laughs> setting our mail out in the sun. I'm spraying it down. Well, with you know, science <laughs> is not linear, right? It is, it is messy and it allows for a lot of confusion. Two years has made a lot of difference. Fortunately. Yeah, right. I guess. But boy, talk about mishandling of a pandemic. 980,000 U.S. deaths. Uh, you know, 4% of the world's population. And still, I think it's about 18% of the worldwide deaths from COVID. Um, just astonishing. And there's still really open questions. You know, two years ago, I would have predicted, I think I did predict on the air, that you know, continents like Africa were going to just be completely devastated by COVID. And we haven't really seen that. Um and it's it's confounding to everybody, I think, who's really looking into this to try to understand why that hasn't happened. Um, you know, stay tuned. Um, still, there's a lot of open questions about what we do and do not know about how this has taken hold in some countries and not in others. In this one, I think the general consensus is it was massively mismanaged um, for the first couple of years in the setting of a very expensive, cumbersome healthcare system. Um, and, you know, that has led to, you know, just a significant disproportionate rate of death. Wow. So it's actually our human created systems, our social systems, our healthcare system that dro- you think drove the numbers? Well, I don't know. I would not going to say they drove the numbers, uh-huh. but they certainly did not. Our systems did not control the pandemic, right? I mean, we, we went down this wormhole of um, you know, political toxicity around the pandemic early on, um, and we stayed there. Um, even even now, um, you know, we're, we're we're feeling calls from people talking about um, the vaccine debate um, and complaints about censorship. When I try to be based in science um, and try to keep us on the narrow path of what is rational and understood, I think I've been fairly open about what we don't understand about this, and I have not been entirely correct all the time on this. But in general, my role, as I have seen it, um, is to try to talk about where we stand at the current moment with this pandemic. Um, And that hasn't always been part of the national dialogue, or even, shall I say, the local dialogue. That's true. That's true. I've always felt that your voice in particular is important to highlight as part of this discussion because you know what you're talking about and you are grounded in science and you do read and digest the most current studies that are out there. And for me, and I think a lot of people being able to tune in and hear what you have to say has helped us navigate step by step through the just kind of cacophony and the chaos of all the disinformation that's been out there. So I just, I don't know how I would have gotten through without what you've brought, not to be too much of a cheerleader, but I mean, it's, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. It's just that, you know, you, it's, it's hard to know what to believe when all, everybody's screaming, you know, and there've been a, a few different sources that I have come to trust to feel like I have some grounding um, with what's actually happening. You're one of them. And then there've been a couple of podcasts that I've, that I've found, but it's few and far between, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I really don't know how much I've contributed to the, the debate or the discussion in this County, but I've done it willingly and somewhat gladly at times even. 
um, to by way of illustration, and I know we're just chattering away here for we'll coming on to 30 lines. minutes. Yeah, um, we will. But by way of illustration, um, and speaking of um, pointy-headed nimrods, um, the New England Journal of Medicine just published a study um, looking at the efficacy of ivermectin. Remember ivermectin? They do. Yeah. Um, How could so, I forget? You know, it was actually a good study, um, and lo and behold, ivermectin does not have any proven efficacy against COVID. That's but, about the 20th study I've heard well, of. So, so right. So they're actually, and, and, you know, God bless these scientists who have carried this study all the way to its conclusion and published it. Um, there are about 60 ongoing studies of ivermectin, 30 of which have been published, many of which have been withdrawn, um, almost all of which have been deeply flawed. Um, but this one was a big placebo-controlled um, study. You know, anyway, I, it just, there wasn't much um, belief in the uh, mainstream scientific community um, that this anti-parasitic uh, medication would work as an antiviral. That just seemed implausible at best. And lo and behold, it has now been, you know, rather well shown. I don't think it will stop the debate. You know, there are people out there who are going to continue to believe whatever they want to believe and find in the corners of the Internet um, voices that will amplify and reamplify, um, you know, erroneous, you know, belief systems mm -hmm. around, you know, pseudoscience. Well, it doesn't help what you're talking about with the failure of our healthcare system and, um, you know, the way that polit politics cynically seized on this to to deepen the divisions in our already very divided culture, it doesn't help that those those things are true, right? So people right. a lot of times don't know what to believe, and there are people who are in very good faith who are just trying to find the best thing and don't trust mainstream or Western medicine for, for their own good reasons. And then there are people who are grifters, people who are capitalizing on this to enrich themselves, people who have political ends to increase the polarization and the division. And so, yeah, it, it, it is, it's really challenging. It has been challenging. So I want to thank you for helping us with the navigating of all well, of that. you know, I like to toss it up. I, I, I'm <laughs> happy to keep things lively and interesting. If yes. you want an anodyne milk toast uh, radio show on COVID, tune into the county broadcast. But that's not what I'm going to offer. It would be too boring and too tedious to be entirely polite all the time. And what is a Nimrod exactly? I... Oh, I don't know. It's a it's a made up word, but it does tend to incite excitement. I will say that. <laughs> yes. Well, let's see who's listening. Let's open up the phone <laughs> lines and see what what you guys out there have to say. It's seven zero seven eight nine five. 2448. We'll see who's still listening after all of this time. I think they're all busy pledging during the quiet drive. Yes, they're right. all on kzyx.org yeah. making their donations. 707-895-2448. We'll take our first call. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Hello. I missed the beginning of the show because I thought it was going to be two weeks from last Tuesday. So are you going to keep doing the show, first of all? Well, we're going to do it every first and third Tuesday, at least through the month of April. Okay, very good. Now, uh, number one, I'm over here in Golala. When we call this the South Coast, we actually mean from Irish Beach or even Elk all the way down to Timber Cove. This is called Mendonoma because we're so close to Sonoma County. Uh, they are going to have a booster clinic at RCMS this Sunday only for two hours for the second booster 
which they say first come, first serve. It's only two hours, and they're going to vaccinate people from 50 on up, which is scary because they're going to run out of vaccine, of course, unless you get there and get in the front of the line. I don't, and they I, don't, I don't know if they will run out of vaccine, well, frankly. Well, it's only two hours. Why are they only doing it two hours for everybody on this whole part of the coast? Oh, I, I, so I, I, I'm not in contact. I okay. haven't been in. But hold on. Okay. Let me just let me just speculate here All for right. a moment. Um, yes. These vaccine events, the attendance has been um, dropping off significantly. Um, I'm not sure how you know many age qualified people live on the south coast or call it what you like um, who want to sign up for a second booster. I anticipate that that two-hour event will be ample time to get everybody boosted who shows up. I don't suspect that they're going to run out of the vaccine. But if if they run out of time, I am quite confident in saying that they will schedule another event to get the remaining people boosted. These events take a lot of resources from these uh, FQHCs that, you know, tend to be fairly... um, leanly staffed, um, to put it mildly. So I suspect that that's why this is, you know, structured in a two-hour, fairly constrictive time slot. But go on. There's many, 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 many older people here. There's more older people uh, my age. And so I was, and and it's just a regular booster or the second booster for really old, whatever. Okay, (laughs) a second point. There is no pharmacy here in our area, none. The closest pharmacy to this area is Santa Rosa. Maybe there's a pharmacy in Guerneville or Fort Bragg or Ukiah. We have absolutely no pharmacy here, which is really scary. Third, the little wonderful bus that came from Ukiah every Thursday. It's been coming for months and months and months. In the morning, it would test people uh, in Wallala. And then it would go to Point Arena to the VFW Hall where the Senior Center is and test people for a few hours in the afternoon every Thursday for months. It told me last Thursday when I got my test, and it's the long test, of course, that takes a few days, that they're not coming anymore. And that was the same day I heard on the news that the government is not funding any more pandemic stuff because, of course, we have to give it all to the military and wars. So... That is scary. If, yeah, I have some of the instant tests, and then you find out right away, and then you need to go somewhere wet, and you need to get some drug right away, but there's no pharmacy. And, of course, I have no doctor here, but that's irrelevant. That's just my problem. But the last point I will make, Dr. Colfax, and then I'll hang up and listen on the radio, the BA2, are you with me? I am with you, Yes. I'm looking in my latest issue of my local paper, the Independent Coast Observer, and it says a variant of the Omicron BA2 said to be 40% more contagious is attacking various parts of the USA and other countries starting to show up locally. The CDC says BA2 accounts for more than half the new cases in the U.S. Okay, I go to town, like I said last time, so many people are not wearing masks in the stores, in the post office. Old people, which always shocks me, people my age are not wearing masks. And now they want to let the airlines stop the, all, the, all the rules for COVID on the airlines. And you know it's just it's here already. 
it, it doesn't make sense to me. It's always been since the very first day of the pandemic, your money or your life, and that's the whole philosophy. If we want to keep commerce and capitalists going, capitalism, excuse me, all the poor, the old, the people of color, the people without health care, blah, 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 are going to die. And I will hang up now, and I hope you keep doing the show. Thank you so much. All right. Well, points well made. Um, and, uh, you know, her point about the government retreating from sponsorship of COVID testing and treatments is um, nigh. Um, you know, we are about to see that uh, happen where the government's simply going to put this back into the private pay um, model of medicine that unfortunately we have continued to pursue. And to be sure, you know, some of these treatments are not cheap, right? The vaccine itself is actually fairly cheap. Um, but boy, an antiviral um, IV infusion um, administered, you know, over three days, that's extremely expensive. Even these packages of pills, um, you know, post post um, test positivity those come in around six or seven hundred dollars at the governmental cost so imagine what that's going to cost when you are paying for it by uh, private pay right so that's happening you know and i will say it again uh, medicare for all single-payer healthcare system would be the solution but good luck making that happen anytime soon we did get kind of used to having free, unfettered access to things like testing and vaccines. You yes, just open the door, right. you it's, walk in, it's and you get it. It's weird how well that works. It's, yeah, yeah it's, it yeah. was great. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Let's but the testing, just a, you know, a lot of anxiety in the previous caller's um, yeah. commentary. And I, I, you know, I, I don't think it's uh, unreasonable, honestly, for the county to dial back the mobile testing uh, van. Um, test kits are readily available yeah. um the federally qualified health centers even rcms not even but rcms included um i believe have an ample supply of tests um and they are still testing people they can hand out test kits if you show up and ask for some um you know lost supplies last kind of thing mm -hmm. but um, that's my understanding the government sent out what was it four per household um yeah we didn't get ours yeah so you know there are there are ways to get tested um other than the county continuing to staff and fund a mobile testing van um that's you know rolling around the county the testing itself, while important from a public health perspective, and I've made this point uh, repeatedly, um, doesn't really affect one individually too much, right? I mean, a, a test that is negative um, in a point of time is helpful to be sure if you are going to, for example, get together in a gathering with uh, vulnerable individuals. But that really only tells you whether you have COVID um, at that one moment. And you know, to know whether you have COVID the next day, you need to get tested the next day. And none of us, not even I, am going to get tested on a daily basis for COVID, right? So you know, the absence or sort of the restriction or the pullback from testing, um, while lamentable from a public health perspective um, is not so dangerous from an individual perspective. All right. It's the local coronavirus update here on KZYX. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. We're taking your calls, 707-895-2448, 707-895-2448. And I thought we had a caller, but they weren't there. So the lines are open. Wow. All because... Right. We're done. Drop yeah. The mic. <laughs> mic drop. Yeah. Because uh, we are continuing uh, out of 
caution to do the show based on the the BA two variant, but. And the you know the previous caller talked about BA two sort of yeah. becoming a, a dominant, right. predominant strain. Yes, that is happening. Um, it is it is more contagious. Um, it's not you know it's not showing itself to be more dangerous or more deadly, but it is supplanting Omicron. Um, you know, and will do so locally over the course of the next couple of weeks. Um, it's just kind of the way evolutionary biology works. I hope that it continues to cause only a very mild bump in the numbers. Um, it certainly will lead to additional you know, hospitalizations, but I don't think it's going to be anything that is even close to as bad as it was a few months ago. Mm -hmm. All right, let's take our next call. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. I uh, heard on Tom Hartman's show, let me close off things here, and um, he he was talking about the relation yeah, you between turn your radio COVID. off and have an easier time. Yeah, I am. I know um, about the relationship between COVID and diabetes, type two diabetes, and that thirty to forty percent of the deaths have been of people with type two diabetes. Could you talk about that? Sure, yes, and that, that's actually gotten a lot of attention just as, as more data becomes available and a retrospective review of the mortality numbers. Uh, that has become, it's been known, uh, certainly amongst healthcare providers, that diabetes was a major risk factor. Um, but for whatever reason, um, it's taken on some popular press attention in the last week or two. So yes, um, diabetes type 1 and type 2, but particularly type 2, um, has proven to be a very significant risk factor for COVID. Um, probably, well, actually not even probably, I think I can assert definitively um, that it is second only to age um, in terms of um, the single most significant predictor of the possibility or probability of a bad outcome from COVID, um, you know, with, with the asterisk of uh, vaccination status. Um, so that, that even more than age um, is the um, best predictor, whether you're going to be hospitalized or die from COVID is whether you're vaccinated or not, followed by age, followed by diabetes. Um, and then, you know, things like dialysis are also fairly significant risk factors. Um, is type 2 diabetes distributed equally throughout the population, or are there socioeconomic risk there factors? There are massive socioeconomic risk factors associated with type 2 diabetes, um, you know, across across the nation, across across the world. That's, you know, that, that is a significant driver of type 2 diabetes um, is, is ethnicity, income, um, geographic location. Uh, and that's why, you know, it, it's... It's contributing significantly to the distribution of um, the death pattern um, from COVID, um, and it will continue to do so. You know, in walking in lockstep with the same sort of um, factors that uh, result in barriers to access to healthcare, um, access, barriers to access to good information around COVID. Um, you know, newsflash, it's not the KZYX listeners um, who have a hard time getting um, good health information or getting access uh, to good health care, some South Coast denizens aside. Um, so, you know, that's, that, that is a major uh, driver of this disproportionate morbidity and mortality that we see around COVID. 
All right, we have another call. Let's take that. Caller, are you there? Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Good morning. Um, I had a couple of questions. So has there been any update on vaccines for children under five? Because I was reading that a lot of the um, cases are affecting unvaccinated people, and that's still a huge yeah. People. Yeah. So that's that's a really good question. And it's it's a frustrating uh, area right now because the vaccines for the under five uh, population have not the data has just not been as good um, as anybody wanted to see. Um, part of that was confounded by some dosing problems or not dosing problems, but just lack of dosing clarity um, as they are trying to figure out you know, what dose to administer with what sort of interval um, and how many vaccines in the under five uh, cohort. So as of now, um, as of this morning, when I last checked, there is still not a emergency use authorization for um, people under the age of five. I think actually that Moderna, even though it applied, you know, sort of was late in the pediatric vaccine uh, race with Pfizer, I think that their vaccine is probably going to get an EUA um, before Pfizer's. Um, that might come down in the next two to four weeks. I kind of suspect we'll see that. Um, but it has taken a while because the vaccine, you know, in part because the vaccine is more dangerous and we're talking at the you know at the very margins but it is more dangerous for younger adults or for adolescents when compared to everybody else um and the disease is less dangerous right so the risk benefit graphs converge um and they continue to converge amongst the very young and so this is causing a lot of caution amongst the scientists who are responsible for reviewing these data submissions um in terms of whether this is to be authorized yet. What we're seeing um, is that the vaccine in general, from what I've seen, um, each of them, both Pfizer and Moderna, is about 40 to 45 percent effective, which is much less than the 80, 85, 90 percent effectiveness that we're seeing you know, for the adult doses when they were rolled out. Um, in the context of an illness, while you know leading while it's a leading cause of death amongst the under five it's you know in top 10 um still only causes on the order of i don't have the numbers in front of me but on the order of around six or seven hundred um covid related deaths in the under age five group so a rare outcome to be sure um, you know, to be weighed against the rare but known risk of things like myocarditis, um, which mm -hmm. is more common in peds. And so that is, you know, that's kind of what the, what the hang-up has been. So if, if you're a parent of a five-year-old, um, you know, take comfort in knowing that the risks or the absolute individual risks of COVID for your four-year-old um, is really not much greater than the risk associated with influenza or RSV or some of these other respiratory infections that, you know, three, four, and five-year-olds collect like, you know, collect like bugs, if you will, um, and bring home from every daycare visit. I, you know, have this conversation repeatedly with, you know, COVID-positive kids, or I did when they were still common in the county. Um, and you can just treat it like any other viral illness in that age group. Um, it's, it's really safe to do that. You know, one in, you know, several hundred thousand of those kids will get sick from it. 
the open question, and I think what is probably driving more anxiety than anything else, is we really don't know much about long COVID, and we certainly don't know much about long COVID sequelae in a three-year-old. Whether that exists, what that looks like, nobody really knows. Um, but, you know, that's that's a consideration. And that actually kind of piggybacks onto the second question I had about um, long COVID. Has there been anything new coming out? Um, a friend of mine is a nurse in um, the Central Valley, so it's a high COVID area. Um, and she's seeing a lot of people who are coming in with, like, um, a lot of DVTs, like a lot of after COVID having a lot of blood clots and things like that. So I know that that's potentially one of the long haul symptoms. But has there been anything else? And I'll take my question off air. Yeah, Thank so that, that that is, you know, anecdotally, I will say that I, along with my fellow providers, have seen a lot of blood clots on DVT being a deep vein thrombosis. Um you know, pulmonary emboli, big blood clots in the lungs. I feel like we're seeing those a lot. Um, even strokes seem to be anecdotally up, you know, ischemic strokes. So blood clot mediated um, strokes, we seem to be seeing those a lot more. Whether that is going to be reflected in the actual incidence, um, the actual national numbers, I don't know yet. I haven't seen that published um, yet. We think we know that COVID results in increased thromboembolic events, um, but we don't really know whether long COVID does. I see more than a few people with sort of a diffuse constellation of symptoms, um, you know, fatigue, headaches, joint ache, um, sort of lack of energy, um, vague sort of depression complaints, stomach pains. And, you know, there's a constellation of diseases, some of which are common and some of which are quite uncommon that can cause that um, that panoply of symptoms. But now long COVID has been added to that list of potential causes. Unfortunately, this is sort of in the realm of diseases that is very hard to, it's impossible to test for, and it's very hard to diagnose. Um, at least it's very hard to diagnose with any degree of certainty. Confounding that diagnostic dilemma is our new knowledge, or relatively newer knowledge, um, that even asymptomatic people can develop long COVID. Um, and so, you know, asymptomatic uh, acute COVID people um, can develop long COVID uh, symptoms. So it's, it's a puzzle. Um, it's a medical puzzle. I don't think it's going to be unraveled or solved in a very tidy fashion anytime soon. This is going to be something that we're going to be attempting to understand for months to years. But to answer your question more concisely, no, I haven't seen any, you know, late breaking um, data or publication around long COVID as of yet. All right, it's the local coronavirus update. we got about 10 minutes left here. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. We are answering your questions at 707-895-2448. Well, Drew's answering your questions. I'm operating the phones, making sure you get on the air. We're going to take our next Keeping call. Keeping me in line. <laughs> That's right, making sure you don't say anything disagreeable. It's <laughs> my job. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah, uh... I don't know if you've commented. Hello? You're live. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, I'm uh, wondering about the fourth, the uh, second booster shot for people 
for older people. Is is that available now in Mendocino County? It is. Uh, it is available. So if you're over 50, you are eligible to get a second booster. Um, so you can, if you got it at a health center um, or at a clinic, um, call them and they can tell you when and where to show up for your booster if you're inclined. I would recommend getting it. I don't think there needs to be a mad stampede. I don't think it has to happen this week um, or even in the next two weeks. But I would suggest getting boosted um, within the next month um, uh, if, if you're inclined because we are going to see some uptick in our numbers over the course of the next several months. And we know, particularly in people who are over 50, that our immune response um, – triggered by the vaccine tends to wane over time how that's going to to anticipate you know the next call or how that's going to play out um in terms of whether we have an annual covid booster i don't know i suspect we probably are going to have an annual covid uh, booster shot much like we have an annual influenza shot um but that has not yet been rolled out or definitively answered and is the uh, time interval since the the first booster shot, the third shot, or however? Yeah, so it, it gets confusing, that, right? Yeah, so there yeah. is there is a time interval. So if you are late to get your um, your booster, um, whether it was your third shot or your second shot, if you're in the minority of people who got the J and J, then um, you want to wait four to five months. Um, and so if you just got your booster, say in January, then you don't need to be reboosted yet. Um, which is why I would suggest you contact wherever you got your, 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 your vaccine series, and they will tell you exactly when you got it and when you are eligible to come in for another booster. But, you know, confusing the picture is, you know, the federal government still, the CDC still considers somebody who received just a single J&J vaccine to be fully boosted, fully vaccinated, um, which, yeah, it just is not where the data is. But, you know, the federal government moves both fast and slow, right? Okay, thank you. Yep. All right, thanks for the call. Well, now the lines are, are lighting up. Let's take our next call. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Well, hello there. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, Dr. Colfax, I was wondering where you get your information from. Well, that is a closely guarded secret. No, I I, I spend a lot of time, um, I, I subscribe as a medical provider to several medical journals, um, both online and mail version, if you can believe that, um, because I like to have a magazine with medical information in it. Um, there are also more than a handful of reputable um, physician organizations that um, – create a synopsis of the evolving studies um, for for COVID. Um, and I get more than a few of those, which I read. And then, you know, if there's something that seems pertinent, I seek out um, the actual publication, whether it's, you know, in, in one of the medical journals or one of the scientific journals. So it, it's multifactorial, um, you know, for better or for worse. I don't have a, a quick answer. So. So what you just told me is that you get your information from magazines and physician articles. Well, I am a physician, so that is my source of information generally, yes. Um, I want to recommend that you get 
that you sign that you go into bitchute.com because YouTube are you aware of the censorship and the, the murders that have taken place of the doctors who have come out with the different narratives and yeah so yeah I I'm not aware of it and I, I don't really want to go down this uh, wormhole frankly I've tried to keep things right, I'll, I'll skip it I'll, I'll skip that I'll skip that but that's a bit shoot if you want to look at it the other question I have is what have your magazines and articles told you about the side effects that killing most young people right now, uh, which is myocarditis. Yeah, so again, you're misinformed. Um, myocarditis I'm very, is... No, I'm not misinformed. Yeah, no, you I'm are. I'm very informed. You're... All right. Myocarditis is causing heart attacks in young people. No, two different disease processes. Two different disease. All right, all right. So see again, um, a lot of time on one's hand. Unfortunately, spent all uh, seeking alternative and erroneous sources of news information. I, I can't. I, you know, it, it's not a persuadable in, individual. Um, I don't apologize for lowering the volume on that call. Um, it bespeaks a lack of scientific understanding surrounding myocarditis, which I have addressed repeatedly on this show. Um, I have studied it. I have looked at it, as have many individuals. Um, but myocarditis, to be clear, does not cause a heart attack. Um, and it is certainly not a leading cause of death amongst anybody anywhere um, in any jurisdiction, um, locally, nationally or worldwide so anyway moving on um all right i think we have time for one more call maybe somebody can call and read in a letter <laughs> maybe hey caller you're live on the air oh goodness that's you. hello we're getting to the end of the show so let's uh, see if we can keep it short you there caller you doing all right right <laughs> I think he dropped his phone. Did, can you have you lost your phone? He doesn't know because he can't hear us. Okay, we're All gonna right. uh, say goodbye, I but I hope your day gets better. All right. Well, well that was an interesting. One of our more interesting. <laughs> I feel bad. For, I, I don't mean to laugh. I mean I've been there myself, but uh, oh, I we we, we heard that very human moment in real time. Did. Where did my phone go? Many human moments here on KZYX. Indeed, we aim to deliver human moments. Um, well, I don't think we have time for another call, and there aren't any other calls. So well, good. We've let's addressed all of the questions. Phew! Yeah. Amazing. Quiet Drive continues. The Quiet Drive continues. You can call us in the studio or in the office at 707-895-2324 to make a donation or go to kzyx.org and you can do do that online. We do have special building fund a special building fund gift. Oh really? We're working on. Yeah, it's it's I don't know if I'm allowed to say but I'm going to it's a mug. It's a mug. It's a KZYX mug. Nice. Super cool. Nice. All right. All right. There will be a lot more on that later, but we will be back with you for the local coronavirus update, uh, the penultimate edition on um, Tuesday, April 19th. We'll see you in two weeks. Any final thoughts? Be safe. Be kind. Be calm. Try not to stress out around COVID too much. Things have improved. And uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. All right. Thank you all again for listening. 
This has been the Local Coronavirus Update podcast with Dr. Drew Colfax, produced by Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can also hear us live on the web at www.kzyx.org. If you'd like to listen live and call in to the local coronavirus update, you can find us every first and third Tuesday of the month at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Our live studio call-in number is 707-895-2448. You can also email your questions to dj at kzyx.org. And you can always listen to our podcast, KZYX Local Coronavirus Update with Dr. Drew Colfax. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music is Bad News Blues by Lucinda Williams, and our outro music is a song called Stumptown, composed and performed by Zach Borden. I'm Alicia Bales. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.